don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. I was told by countless doctors, Lex, you're never going to have your health. Lex, you're never going to have energy. Lex, you're not going to be able to have a baby. Lex, you're not going to be able to handle X, Y, and Z. And all I could say to myself is prove it. And so I did. And it was hard and it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of emotion, but I did it. And I don't allow someone to tell me that they don't think I can't do something. Welcome to Media Sales Confidential, where we get the inside information from some of the world's most respected and innovative leaders. I'm Matt Bartles, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lex Josephs, VP of Ad Sales and Ad Tech Partnerships for Walmart. Let's go. Thanks, Lex, so much for joining. You have a very impressive experiences leading world-class organizations, Walmart right now, but you are also at NBC Universal, Pinterest, Vivo, and Hulu. Why don't we start with why did you decide to make your career in media ad sales? That's a great question, Matt. Um, I wish I had a, uh, let's call it magic eight ball to give you the exact answer. But the best way to explain it is actually just give you a little bit of perspective in terms of how I got to where I am, which really comes from what happened to me as a child. As a child, I had actually a rare immunological disease. I grew up from the age of about six to the age of about 17 in various hospitals around the country. And after a procedure or going through an episode or some sort of surgical event, entertainment was a big relief of mine from pain. And while I knew I didn't have any talent whatsoever to be in front of the camera, I did want to understand how I could go behind the camera. I loved any type of media that could take my mind off of pain and elicit some sort of intentional emotion, whether it be comedic or romantic, anything of the like. The second thing that really inspired me in this way, working, so to speak, and how I ended up where I am, is I thought I was going to be the next Anna Wintour. I thought I would absolutely be an editor-in-chief. I was always very good at writing. I really love to read. I like to express myself. And so not coming from any money, I was able to land an internship at Marie Claire Magazine. And to supplement the internship, I had done back then a Zagat search indicating which restaurants in the area needed hostesses that were most likely to tip. I did not have money. And so I actually started hostessing at Jean-Georges Restaurant um, located right across from Central Park West. Marie Claire Magazine was in the Hearst Building on 57th and Broadway. So I was able to do the internship at Marie Claire and then walk over to Hostess at night. And what I realized was there's not a lot of money in editorial and I needed to supplement my editorial wishes with actually working as a hostess. Number three was having worked my way through the University of Michigan, I was regularly a hostess at La Dolce Vita, which was a dessert bar. And I realized that the more you listen to somebody, the more you got their order right. And that would actually allow you to be tipped well. This compilation of experiences or compilation of experiences, and then actually land a job at Fairchild Publications, which later merged with Condé Nast. So I had a great career of dialing for dollars right at the beginning. But I, I use all of this with a little bit of levity, but a lot of realism is that because I came from a life of understanding how important it was to emotionally connect to a type of media to ultimately make me feel something other than what I was going through. Also the pressure of money in terms of finances 
and the realization that the more I listened, the better I did in terms of sales and therefore money in my own pocket. This all drove me into a career that I'm extremely thankful for, but was quite serendipitous in how it actually, how it actually unfolded. Wow. Wow. So what were the most important things that helped you along the way? Like, how did you put that together? When did you realize these are the, the things that are making Lex Lex? My work ethic. I mean, right from the beginning, I, I'm one of six kids. So I have five sisters and I'm the second oldest. My mom it was an English teacher and she's a, a doctor of informational sciences. My father had unfortunately lost his job when we were pretty young. And so seeing my mom as the breadwinner of a family of eight, that was a significant impact to me. And so I knew right from the beginning, I had to work really hard. Yeah. The, the second was when you don't have health as a known yeah. and you feel pain most days, most people promise themselves what they would do in a day when they don't have pain. And so that gives me a level of energy that I don't necessarily know if one can manufacture it. It's just something that I'm super appreciative for and of. Yeah. Because now that I am healthy, I really try and just maximize each hour that I'm not in pain. That's pretty powerful. How has the entertainment portion of it, how has that translated into your leadership style? How do you use that for motivational purposes? So for my, how I lead, I'd like to think I lead with transparency, with authenticity, which really comes out in my quirkiness. So I think, I think that's inspired me to take life seriously because you don't know when it's going to end and you don't know when you're not going to be in pain, but also understand that there's a lot of great entertainment every day just from your lives. I can tell you firsthand, growing up with five sisters and two parents where there are seven women to one man okay. is comical in and of itself and highly entertaining for any man to try and watch that unfold really empowering because I never, ever thought that women could be anything other than dominant. But I, I will tell you that entertainment has been a big part of my life. And I would say it's translated into my leadership skills, just trying to elicit the right emotion from the right people at the right time, and yep. also bringing levity, humor and energy at various points as well. You know what that brings incredible context to everything that we see with all the stuff you're doing, the incredible work you're doing um, on LinkedIn and some of the fun clips that you put out there. I imagine that had to be pretty good during the COVID time. Yeah, I, I say that landed well for some and not for others. And I'm, I'm very self-aware about that. But I, I do think during a year of extreme tension, as well as just so many serious topics of health, civil unrest, political unrest, so many things that are happening economically. There's so much that I do think people were trying to smile and they were right. trying to at least get energy from various means and methods so that they can go for another day. And right. so I think that's most telling and most powerful in sales because in sales, you get told no a lot and you have to keep going and you have to bring energy every day because you're the front line expected to generate and drive results. So I think any part of me that could have given people more energy or a smile or a little bit of a pick me up or even I, oh my God, I cannot believe this woman is doing this. That was my intent. And I hope, hopefully that was the way it was taken. Yep. Absolutely. Well, how do you coach your team to stay positive through? Cause there's sales is a bunch of, bunch of no's. And then that one thing that keeps you coming back. I'm okay with you telling me no time and time again. And I think most salespeople are used to that. I think we're naturally built in a way that we're competitive 
we want to try and almost lap ourselves month over month, day over day, year over year. I do think we have an innate sense of energy and positivity because you can't be told no every single day and keep going, especially at Walmart. It is much more value-based than any of my other positions because we really are focused on the customer and the customer represents 90% of America. It's a really lofty vision is to make sure that we are ultimately servicing our customer and therefore America for that matter. And so I'm okay with someone telling me no and coming back again, because I'm doing it on behalf of such a large percentage of people that I know what I'm doing is adding value to so many people's lives. If I serve them the right message with the right experience and the right product at the right price at the right time, that it genuinely makes them live better and it has allowed them to save time then I did my job. So I can get up every day and do that. And I can be on pretty much every day. The passion for the customer and all and that runs strongly through all of your messaging for sure. Another thing you have passion for, women in revenue leadership positions. What is your message? I mean, now hearing that you come from a, a long line of, of women in your family, what is your message around that? They're simple when you say them, but I think if you live them, it's much harder. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. I was told by countless doctors, Lex, you're never going to have your health. Lex, you're never going to have energy. Lex, you're not going to be able to have a baby. Lex, you're not going to be able to handle X, Y, and Z. And all I could say to myself is prove it. And so I did. And it was hard and it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of emotion, but I did it. And I don't allow someone to tell me that they don't think I can't do something. And so the best advice I can provide is, I think one of the most revelatory things that have happened during COVID for me is I have surrounded myself with something that I'd like to call a confidence crew. I wouldn't say that there's an audition and there certainly aren't rounds, Matt, that you have to go to get initiated or kicked out, so to speak. (laughs) But I think over time, because you start really truncating your time with all of your responsibilities, it leads itself to understanding who do I really need to prioritize and what am I prioritizing them and what do I give them, but also what do they give me? I hear you. So you find the people and say, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that, but I got time for that. I think there are things in this world that make people feel bad. And I think you should do as much as you can to have the people around you make you feel really good and also are able to in a very constructive way, explain what your blind spots are or your areas of opportunity without tearing you down. I just really cut the fat, so to speak, of people who were just not doing well for me in my confidence group. And so that would be my biggest piece of advice. It's one, don't let people tell you you can't do something. You try your best every day. And if you do that, you will get somewhere. And also don't give time to people who don't believe in you. Because no matter how much you try and show them that they should believe in you, if they still don't, you're just wasting your time. Coming from a family of women, we're highly communicative. We really know how to read each other very well. I would say we're very emotionally aware of what's happening within each other. That I think, especially in today's day and age with all of the CD&I initiatives, understanding how aware you need to be about the empathy you need to provide to associates who are going through isolation, psychological challenges, physical challenges. So many different things are taking place. I do think that women have a tendency of being 
just more emotionally intelligent. And so I would say that combined with great financial acumen and a, hey, I'm going to do this because I know I can type of personality, I think that you'd be set up for extreme success. Yeah. So then how do you prioritize your day? I will put a disclaimer because I think it's, it's really important, especially in light of everything that I've read and I've experienced with both people on my team and a lot of women who have reached out to me. I can only do my day because I have childcare. I could not fully be the me that I am at Walmart if I did not have a support system in a rotating partnership of a number of babysitters. But I will, I will try as I typically do, give a little bit of levity throughout my day. So 6.45 in the morning to 8 a.m., I don't touch my phone. That is time that I am with Mason, who's almost nine, and Jordan, she's almost five, in exactly two and a half weeks. She reminds me of that every day. Uh, and that's really my time for them to get them ready, wake them up, or I should say wake them up, get them ready, making sure that they have breakfast and that they're out the door. And then 8 a.m., that is my first Dunkin' Donuts extra large black tea made out of steamed almond milk. That is my first Dunkin' run in a day. Okay. And that is also what I know as the breakout moment, which means <laughs> I get out of the house. <laughs> and so, so after, after my first Dunkin', which there is a specific franchise in Clark, New Jersey, that the ongoing joke is that Lex runs on Dunkin', which I absolutely agree with. <laughs> so at 8.30 in the morning, I am back here. And that's really my first block. That's really um, touch bases with my direct reports or with the Walmart Connect leadership team. I try and meet a new associate every week. So it could be a Walmart associate meeting, um, a leadership program meeting, a mentorship meeting. That's pretty much the range of what type of meetings can exist. From 12 to 12.30 p.m., that is when I do a call and I have a touch base, typically with somebody who knows I'm going for Duncan number two. Um, so they regularly You're out, you're out. <laughs> I'm out. And also again. They, to, they also get to witness my order yet again. <laughs> um, then from one thirty to around 1230 to three, that's my second block of meetings. Yep. And then from three to three 30, one of the benefits of COVID is uh, my son plays music and he plays guitar. And so three to three 30 is I get to listen to him. So while I'm actually catching up with work, he plays and I get to hear him practice as I'm actually catching up on work. And then from 3.30 and 5, another block of meetings, 5 to 7 p.m., homework, and I take a walk or do virtual Pilates, dare you to try it. It's, it's actually really great. Then from 7 to 8, it's dinner and bath time. 8 to 10 p.m., I'm back on for work where I'm really catching up for anything I haven't done throughout the day. 10 to 11, I shower and watch a documentary or a rom-com, which really speaks back to the content and my entertainment days. Also, in all of what's happening in this world, I don't like watching the news because I cannot tell you exactly what's going to happen. And then that gives me anxiety. So I like watching things where I know exactly how it's going to end up right before I go to sleep. 11 to 11.30, I read. And then 11.30, I put the phone down and turn it off and move it away from me. So that way I really do get about six, seven hours of sleep. That's really a day in the life of Lex. Wow. COVID edition. And, and that's the COVID. Okay. And you get three get out, get out of the house free cards to go get your coffee. I wish tea. I could tell you that that was the number of Dunkins that I had today. It was only two. It is not, but we will leave that there. <laughs> I tell you what, that's, that's a, a lot. What is it that you are thinking about that you don't know the answer to? I don't know the answer to a lot of things. <laughs> so many. Uh, I, I, okay, so something that I'm thinking of 
And it's this contentious battle right now that's taking place between almost like in corner one of a ring is content is king. And corner two of the ring, data is the dictator. Notice I, I bring it back into entertainment terms that everybody can understand. And yeah. who is going to win? This also could easily be almost like a bracket of the voice or American Idol, to be clear. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just so that, that really, I think, is fascinating because I think combining the two is really going to be the most incredible state is that if you understand how you can really take a customer who is enjoying content from a reach perspective, and then they're engaged, and then you actually know how they transacted and were inspired by something that they were engaged with, and you can mm -hmm. actually report on it. I think that's very exciting. But I do think having done both where I understand retail media, but I also understand content, it's fascinating to see the different languages, um, the different metrics, the who's going to win in the battle of these two behemoths of these massive categories of content and data. Yeah. Um, so that's something I don't have the answer to, but it is something that I find really interesting. When you take that and think about how that translates then to your team from a leadership perspective, what are the major areas of emphasis that you always like to instill in the sales team? The first thing I actually do tell people is focus on the path. Focus on the path means the following. You need to be financially savvy. You need to be operationally rigorous. You have to have cross-athleticism to service your customer competitively. You need to upskill what you do every day. You have to be solutions-oriented, own your business, be a networker, have tangible results that you can drive in a transparent manner, have humility, be empathetic, and, and have energy, perform at 110% every day, be adaptive, be tactful, and be honest. And so that is focus on the path. And what I will say is having done a number of startups where you really had to focus on the path to become profitable or to show the industry, quite frankly, that we really did have a unique value proposition that at the end of the day was great for a customer or a consumer or a user, whether it was at Hulu, at Vivo, at Pinterest, or now Walmart, if you don't focus on the path, then you start to divert in a wood. And then all of a sudden you can't realize the vision or mission that you really wanted to. The second is a pipeline is not a feeling. When people say, how do you feel about your business? I don't understand the question. It's quantitative. It's, I can tell you how I'm pacing. I can tell you how I'm performing, but I'm not going to tell you how I feel. So pipeline is not a feeling. A pipeline is in fact is this is objectively how we're doing. And then the third is really being emotionally intelligent about what everyone is going through right now. So often sales drivers want to drive and I'm one of them. I'm a, I'm a very driven person and I want to drive results, but there are so many people who are going through so much and you do have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, what is going on in this person's life? That's even bigger than whatever your initiative may be. So I would say focus on the path. Pipeline is not a feeling and being really emotionally aware about what people are going through yeah. first and foremost before going for it from a driver's perspective. So have a vision, know your numbers, right? And care about people. <laughs> I mean, kind of sounds basic, but no, it's often you need to remember these things. Yes. Yeah. Focus on a path. So that's not just like, like Tim Kendall focus. It's focus on a path, like where you're going to go. That's exactly right. I think that is one thing that I often find amusing is when people say, well, Lex, you're salespeople. Are they drivers? I said, well, of course they're driven. We, we work at Walmart. We're in a cheaper culture. But they're unbelievably financially, financially savvy. They understand a P&L. 
they are able to understand suppliers' business as opposed to the merchant's business, as opposed to the brand marketer's business, as opposed to the agency's business, and being able to really understand the various models at any given moment is extremely important nowadays. I would argue it is more important to understand your numbers and to understand a lot of the almost consultant skill set as opposed to what one may think is a stereotypic traditional sales skill set. Is that the key to being a good salesperson? I don't know. I, I, I always speak fun acronyms or words that people can remember. I, I definitely have a point of view on what I think revenue generating orgs have to evolve into to be successful. And so I like to say that salespeople need to be sapid. And sapid means a strong and pleasant taste. And sapid means something. It means that you need to know sales. You need to know analytics, your product, your insights, and all types of data. That would leave a very pleasant taste in any customer, any client, any marketer, agency's mouth, so to speak. That really is what I think salesmanship has turned into. It's not just achieving your numbers, but it's really understanding how can I be this cross-athlete that understands data, both from my financial data, customer data, understanding insights related to my category, to my vertical, or to my brand marketer. So really knowing what my product is. And of course, understanding my analytics, how am I optimizing for a specific type of benchmark or a specific KPI? All of that is required. And so I laugh when everyone says, oh, Lex, you're just in sales. I look at them and I say, yeah, Sam Walton started in sales too in 1940. He did pretty well. I love it. So focus on the path. Pipeline is not a feeling. Empty with people and sapid. You want to leave a strong and pleasant taste in everyone's mouth. There you go. All right, Lex. So everybody has some seminal moments in their career. Were there any critical milestones or moments that really, really changed your course that you would like to share? Yes, there were, I'd say there were four. The first was I left CBS to go to Hulu and I gave that job my all. So when I say I literally gave it my life, I mean, I would usually be the last one out. And what I really want to share with everybody is that there are times in your career where no matter how passionate you are about where you work, and no matter how passionate you are about what you do, there are politics that could leave you without a job, which is what happened with me. And so rather than worrying about what this would do to your career if you were to ever get fired or how this would impact you in terms of um, just your embarrassment or your personal feelings about yourself. Just learn from it. Hold on. Did you leave on your own or did you get fired? How did that feel? Right when, like, as soon as you got that call, how did that feel? I mean, of course, you, you go through the many emotions of anger, frustration, sadness, um, but Ultimately, I, I, I really knew, knew I gave it as much as I possibly could. And looking back, I was a really young manager. I could have done things much better. There were definitely signs of things I should have changed about myself that I didn't listen to. But I think the one thing that that really taught me was how many more skill sets do I need to amass to make myself that much more competitive in my future? And so that leads to number two. The second was business school. When I started at Vivo, I met this incredible person named Alan Price, who at the time was the CFO, who is now the current CEO. 
And to this day, Alan has been and always will be one of the most powerful mentors and most impactful to my life. Alan had noticed about four years into being at Vivo, he said, you ask a lot of questions about our board and you ask a lot of questions about financing rounds and funding rounds and why revenue targets are what they are and how we need to achieve a certain type of revenue growth in order for us to be profitable. And he said, I really think you should go to business school. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I'm pregnant with my first child. And he said, yeah, I still think you should go to business school. And so Alan not only supported me in terms that he gave me the executive sponsorship, but he was a huge, just a completely positive reinforcement of you can do this. And so while Mason was four months old, I went to Stern's executive MBA program at NYU while simultaneously running Vivo's East Coast sales team while simultaneously taking care of the newborn. Now, I don't recommend that because I think I blacked out for two years but I got it done. And that was one of the skill sets that I wanted to amass from that first experience of, I need a more well-rounded skill set in order for me to become an executive in the future. And that is what I want to be. I, I want to be a CEO. So you took the firing the, and to a lesson learned, like, you know what, I don't have everything I need to, to get to where I want to go. And that is not going to happen unless I advance my skill sets. Right. I needed to understand what more, what could I've done better? With a newborn and being pregnant. So again, I built really differently. <laughs> so the firing or the letting go, as we very nicely right. say it, right? Yep. Or transitioning out of a company, that's my yep. favorite. Uh, while that was a hard thing to take personally, that to me was never debilitating. Because again, my, my relative perspective was, yeah, but I'm not hooked up to a machine in a hospital bed. So this is okay. And so after business school and after almost six years at Vivo, Alan actually was the one who said, you know what, Lex, there's other things for you to learn. And he was right. And I knew that I wanted to have another child, but candidly, I had lost my first child before Mason. And I knew that I was going to have a rough time the third time. And so what I did was something that to me made a lot of sense, but others may not just be aware of it. So I, I want to put it out there. I intentionally took an individual contributor role at Pinterest because I knew that my health was going to go through a hit if I got pregnant again, which I did very thankfully. And so it's okay to actually do that. Um, Karen Kovacs, who works for NBC, who's also been a mentor to me for a very long time, she actually said that your career should be like a jungle gym as opposed to a ladder. And okay. that is very true. And so I took a step sideways or even one, one may say a step down. I don't look at it as that because I think any experience that teaches you something new is actually a step in the right direction. But I learned a ton from Pinterest and the ability to really understand retail and CPG is really what pivots me into number four, which is Walmart. And I had always wanted to work at a company that has the most amazing customer proposition that truly puts the customer first and really has servant leadership out of respect to the customer. Growing up with a big family and not coming from a lot of money, um, Walmart was really important to many people and I understood that. Um, I will tell you, I love my job. I love what I do. And so it's very easy to come to work energized every day. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lex. As always, it was great to have you. And that's The Scoop. I'm Matt Bartles. 
Thank you for listening to Media Sales Confidential. If you're looking for a deeper dive into these hot topics, be sure to participate in Alexander Group's new Media Sales Industry Trends Research. It has the latest insights and best practices to maximize your opportunities for growth.